Hello, and welcome to Millennial Ministry, the podcast for young adults for Village Presbyterian Church. With me is Trenton. We are doing the second in our series of Advent podcasts about Christmas carols, about Christmas tunes. Uh, Trenton and I did one uh, last week, which you can uh, hear, you can't see, you can listen to us. That's the entire point of the podcast. You can listen to us wherever you're listening to this right now. Uh, However, we have an addition and it is Hallie. How are you? Hi. Now, because I have to ask this question of everybody who's appearing on a Christmas podcast, what's your stance on when you should start listening to Christmas music? Yeah, I'd like to raise a point of complaint with last week's podcast, because I firmly believe that Christmas music should be listened to all the time uh, at any point in the year, as early as you would des- as you desire, and that no Christmas music is too much Christmas music. That's okay. We can have opinions of all types. <laughs> I tried- I'm now listening to Christmas music almost nonstop. I tried to put up the tree on Halloween this year and Nick wouldn't let me. And he only won that fight because it was on a shelf I couldn't reach. So I couldn't get it down. So maybe <laughs> Halloween was a little early, but definitely by Thanksgiving. Okay. Okay. So uh, last week we talked about um, the Advent, uh, the, the waiting part of the Advent, where we're expectantly waiting for the Savior to come. And this week we are talking about the event itself, the birth of Jesus, you know, the, the story that you find in the Gospels about how Jesus was born, mangers, all that. And the first uh, song that we're going to discuss is Silent Night. Um, so Silent Night um, is a, originally a German Christmas carol that was composed in the early 1800s. It is, uh, the German name is Stille Nacht, if you want to go German. And I guess before we get too into Silent Night, what is what? What do you guys think is different about the the stage that we're talking about right now, the the, the birthing stage, to for lack of a better term, uh, as opposed to the expectantly waiting stage? Sounds like this is about to turn into an episode of what to expect when you're expecting. I think that uh, th- this part is. I had a theological professor once say that this is the violent part of Christmas that this is where Christ comes into the world, but Christ comes in at the expense of others. And that uh, Mary in Silent Night has just made this ultimate sacrifice for humanity to bring a baby into this world, to endure that which uh, is childbirth without epidural, which from my understand is very painful. And this is the part of Christmas where I think the hard part has stopped for the moment and the next hard part is just to begin. And it's that, it's that deep breath of quiet. So you're saying that even though the event is happening, there's still some expectancy? There is, because um, I uh, have no idea what I'm talking about firsthand. But from all of my friends who do have kids, and from what I understand, that there's those moments when you first hold your baby when everything is possible in the future. And it's just quiet for a moment before the next series of things starts. To me, that's what Silent Night is, is it's this moment of Mary and Jesus and Joseph, sort of, just alone. And I think it's kind of a part of the story that gets overlooked in the rush to welcome the shepherds and the wise people and anyone else who might have wandered on by. Yeah, and I think when I think about this moment, like this is the most precarious moment in all of our 
theological history to say it that way. Like this is the most, like this is where the mystery comes in for me. Easter, life, death, yeah, whatever. I can somehow get on board with that more easily than this, right? Like of all the ways God could have chosen to enter into our world in a way that God can have relationship in human form, God chooses to be born as an infant into a time and place and setting that is anything but like not precarious to infants, right? Like it's not like all was set up and well to make sure that that the that the baby was safe and that all the things were needed, right? Like we highly accessorize birthing now. None of that was the case. And still this is the way that God chooses. And it's up to Mary and Joseph to make all of that work in those moments. And it is just nothing but a mystery to me. And I also wonder too, if you're Mary and, you know, Mary um, was roughly 13, 14, 15, maybe 16. Um, You know, you think about it in today's culture, that's the age of the kids that we see on Sunday evenings at the gathering running around for youth group. And all of a sudden you have Mary and then you have Joseph, who was much older, and they're holding this baby, no instruction manual, clearly no cash money, because if Joseph had a little cash cash in his pocket, he could have gotten a room at the inn. That would have been a very feasible thing to do. Like, you slide some denarii across the table, you're getting a room. I think that there has to also be, in that moment for, those, for them, kind of a, what the hell do we do now moment. And I, I would have loved to have been there while they're just looking at each other, looking at the baby. And on top of it being their child, it's also, they are, Mary is also fully aware of the child's divinity. I can't imagine what it would be there to, to look into that kid's face. And then to also, that, that, I can't imagine that moment. Yeah. And I, I think that's one of the draws of the Christmas story lies in the juxtaposition of this all-powerful, all-knowing, all caring God as a baby, a right. He's, he's, he's a baby. He's, he's helpless physically, but also not just that he's a baby in general, but that he's a baby in a manger in just this random, you know, shed with, with animals, the stinky animals. And, and just this guy was like, yeah, okay, I guess I've got a spot. You can come over here and birth in the manger. That seems, you know, that that's so very different and opposite from what you would expect a triumphant king returning to lead his people to be. And I think that sort of has to be part of the, the story and, and, and part of what you think of when you think about the birth of Jesus and the Christmas story itself. And, and ultimately it's, it's a story about immigrants, right? If you're thinking about it in, in, in modern day terms and just putting different non-Christmas language on it, that's really what it is. It's a, it's a story of poor immigrants having a child in a place only because someone was you know kind enough to let them do that. And that juxtaposition is really a core, core part of the story. Right. Like we see a piece of, Jesus's identity, even in how this story gets told, right? Like who is Jesus going to be and how does God choose to lead the people in this new era of divine and human history, right? It's not the king on the horse. Um, It's not even the rich 
you know, couple that has what they has their needs met to ensure the child is taken care of. It's to the young couple out of traditional wedlock, outside the bounds of a land that they can, that they are citizens in, that they can call home in a manger. Like it is at, as beyond the margins as it could have been. <laughs> and I think that just the telling of the story in that way, the way we've come to know that story tells us really everything that's going to come. Mm-hmm. And I think how you mentioned earlier, you love the hymn, Mary, did you know? Um, and while it's definitely one of our newer Christmas songs that was written in the fifties, I think I like that song for a lot of reasons, but I also love the song because I think it's rhetorical because Mary did know. Yeah. I told her what was up. There was an, there was an informed session here. But still, you have to think, is Mary be thinking like any other mother? Yeah, yeah. I So I'm kind of on a soapbox currently about this song because I love it. And if you have heard Barnaby Bright or Becky and Nathan sing it, you there's a fairly good chance you love it too. It's one of kind of our central songs this time of year. And I love it because it's it's rhetorical, but it's also a song that invites us to wonder with Mary. You know, what kills me theologically is that Mary's not a character in this story. She is the story. She's carrying the savior of the world in her uterus. Like, <laughs> what? <laughs> like, that is a crazy part of the story. And to, to just kind of stick her in the manger, I think, is not doing Mary the justice that she deserves. And so this song invites us to wonder of course, Mary knew there was consent in this. She says, I'm your servant and let it be. But does any mother who's just born a child, especially one of divine origin, fully know? You know, I think that there's that like expansive moment in childbirth where a mother in particular can look at her baby and feel this like overwhelming sense of love, but also this just expanse stretched out before you realizing the life that you're holding and all that is possible. So Mary definitely knew. And I think that, I think that there's room, so much room in this part of the story, right? Before we get to the shepherds and the wise men and all the things like you've named to just wonder with her, what it was she was feeling and seeing and thinking about and fearing and all of those very human emotions while she holds the savior of the world. And I think the people that hate this song are not listening to it correctly. <laughs> I have all the complaints against the complaints against the song. I'll uh, confess that I hated this song briefly when I was in high school because the San Antonio Christian School praise band tried to sing it. And let me tell you, it see? made me wrong to be an atheist. This is the thing. Well. Music, a song is more than the words. It's got to be performed. It's art. Yeah. Well, Kaylin Stewart tried to turn it into an act of murder. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I I do think that, you know, there is an an element, uh, a a musical element that is not uh, part of the text of the of the song. Um, if you'll if you'll allow me to to flex my music degree for a few seconds, it was actually written uh, written in the nineteen uh, eighties. Oh. Uh, it was writ- written uh, in nineteen eighty four, which is very very recent. This is so much newer, really, than a lot of other uh, Christmas music, and I think that 
there's a there's a couple of things going on with Mary. Did you know? You know, it was it was written in in the Christian contemporary music scene, which in and of itself has attracted some reasonable criticisms. But I think a lot of people see who wrote it, Mark Lowry of the of the Gaither Vocal Band, which is like still a thing, and that's is a, a Christian contemporary music artist, right? And that kind of colors their perception of the song as it's just another Christmas shoes type Christmas song. So I think that just where it came from, people just automatically started off on the wrong foot with the, with the piece. But if you just give it a chance, you know, uh, and especially if you, if you listen to different, different people sing it too. I mean, 1984 was a somewhat questionable musical time in the CCM world anyways, you know, if you put it in a different context, like, uh, you know, a Barnaby Bright style context, then you can see it and uh, listen to it in a different light. Yeah. And to be clear, I get it and it's valid and it it's newness in the scope of how Christmas songs are passed down works against it. And I do think that, that how we perform certain art matters. And so I think hearing it in a female voice is different and hearing it done in such a style that invites wondering with and not wondering at, right? Like if we're, if we're asking Mary all the questions, if we're interrogating her, that's a very different understanding and very different just way of hearing that rather than walking with her and wondering with her and really inviting ourselves to think more about the moment of birth, um, not just as a detail in the story, but as the, really the whole of the story. Don't send me mean emails about how much you hate the song. I get it. I understand the complaints. And there's a lot of thing about a lot of bad theology around Mary. And a lot of, you know, we've mansplained Mary away for 2000 years. So I get it. But I do think there's just an opportunity here to invite ourselves into the story with Mary. There's a definite push to put Mary. I think one of the reasons people hate the song, even though they may not realize they hate it for this reason, but I'm going to play Dr. Phil for a second. Just one lateral move over from my actual doctorate. I think that the main tradition for 1500 years was a Catholic tradition and Mariology, Marian theology turned Mary into this paradigm of like a meek and mild woman who was the ideal woman, this woman who we saw, but did not hear from. And um, I think that Mary, did you know, forces her into the spotlight and makes you listen and I think that some of the discomfort comes from that too, is we're not used to listening to women's voices. And so you can find things about the song you don't like from it being from the eighties and the Christian contemporary music thing. But I think that a lot of it has to do with the fact that you're centering a female voice. That is my hashtag hot take. <laughs> hey, you've got some doctorates. You can make some hot takes. That's fine. I mean, that's the whole reason I went to grad school. So I could walk around and just drop hot takes. I do think though, it's kind of in this podcast, we're going from the newest, I think of Christmas songs. Um, Mary, did you know back to what is arguably one of our oldest pieces of literature um, that's invoked in one of our most famous Christmas songs called angels. We have heard on high. And in the Christmas story that uh, Luke tells the angels are kind of the into this part of the story. We haven't got to the wise men yet. We haven't got to, you know, everybody else finding out. These shepherds are the first to find out, right? They're hanging out in their fields. In the summertime, Jesus was not born in the winter. Let's just make that clear. If KCP, you know, you wondered when's Jesus born? He's not actually born in December. That's a whole different thing. Come talk to me if you have questions. But 
so the shepherds are out in the field in the summer with their sheep and their whatever, doing whatever it is shepherds do, and the angels show up, right? And so angels we have heard on high tells the story, but the refrain of angels we have heard on high is Gloria, and Gloria and I shall see Steo. I won't sing it because um, I don't wish to torture you, but that phrase was not written for that song. So I think a lot of people think when they hear that song, I think, oh, whoever wrote this French carol in 1862 wrote this Latin phrase. No, no, that phrase has been used in liturgy for three, since uh, the year 300, roughly. It was brought into our liturgy by uh, a saint named Hilary of Poitiers, um, and the uh, Catholics still use it every Sunday in Mass. They sing Gloria after they sing Kyrie. So they say, Christ have mercy, and they sing the uh, Gloria. And so it's this weird play of our oldest piece of liturgy that has been used and used continually comes from the story of Christmas. There's a dovetailing here um, regarding the Magnificat, which is basically the also known as like the Song of Mary, and the text comes from Luke. Um, and this is a you know a really big part of of Christian tradition um, and music and sacred musical tradition too. And all of this comes from from Mary, uh, you know, who who birthed Jesus. It ends with a kind of version of, of the of the Gloria, where it's glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Ghost. And so I I think that there is something interesting there that that this great uh, song, the, this text, comes from Mary, who obviously has a unique connection to Jesus uh, and a unique connection to the history of Christianity. I think that, uh, yeah, but I mean, like you, like you said, I mean, Mary starts everything. Without Mary, there's no Christianity. The Gospel of Luke is just so much singing at the beginning of it, right? So lifting up these choruses, these refrains that are as ancient as the text itself makes sense in our Christmas music. I mean, what better way to celebrate the birth of someone than by singing? And I mean, I think it's fitting in a weird way tortured analogy perhaps but you know when you have a baby some people you sing to them you you rock them you sing to them it's, it's an, an integral part of having a child from what i understand and from the few times that i've babysat god help me um as there's a lot of you know a lot of that quiet singing that quiet rocking that quiet bouncing and i think that i don't know in some ways it's an appropriate start that it starts with singing well and more than that i mean there's an element in ancient Hebrew liturgy where the female part of the liturgy is often in song, right? Mm-hmm. Like women weren't often leading the liturgy, but when mu- when it came to music, they were. And so slight diversion here, but the first prophet being Miriam mm-hmm. and that name translated into Greek being Mary. I mean, Mary is named after Miriam and we meet Miriam leading the people. Well, we meet her earlier saving Moses's ass because he couldn't save himself as a baby. Then we see her leading the Israelites across the Red Sea as it's parted in song. And so Mary's song here is lifting up that same, that same refrain, an offering of praise in song because that was the tradition. Well, that is also the oldest part of the Exodus story. It's the part that never changed was the song of the sea was mary was Miriam's song and it's the part that you know as exodus was told and retold and told and retold uh, before someone finally got chance to write it down that didn't change 
And yeah. so it's the women's voices that are the most ancient in the Old Testament and in the New. If you go look that up and you think we're nuts, if you look it up in Exodus, it looks like Moses is singing. And then like Miriam says a couple of lines and that's crap. That mm-hmm. would have been edited. It wouldn't have been as Moses didn't talk good. Remember, like God calls him. He's like, I don't speak well. And he needs his help from his brother. So Moses isn't singing. It's Miriam's song put in Moses's mouth. Mm-hmm. Well, that about wraps it up for today's podcast and this week's podcast on Advent songs. Um, next week, we'll, we will have one more for you. In the meantime, you can visit us at villagepresya.org. That's villagepresya.org. Hallie, anything else you want to say? Any more direction, stuff that we're doing in the future? Um, I'll just say jump into this Theology Thursday series to talk about these things all together. There's still time. There's always time. You can find that on that website. And continue listening. We'll add the songs we've talked about tonight into this podcast if you want some music in your day. All right. See you next week.
Christ was born. Silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is bright. Uh...